Good evening, and uh, we're going to go ahead and get uh, started this evening, and uh, we are glad that you are here, and uh, as always, I know there are a lot of places you could be on a Wednesday evening with the busyness of life, and, um, and so we're thankful you are, are here tonight, and I pray that uh, the Lord's been with you this week, and I pray that, uh, that you've come tonight wanting to hear what the Bible has to say. Uh, if you came to hear what I have to say, you will be uh, sadly disappointed. But we're in Jeremiah chapter 25, the second part tonight. And we're going to be talking about a topic that really, it's, it's not talked about a, a lot anymore. And that is the judgment of God. And so when someone asks you, what is a, a passage of scripture or a Bible story that you are familiar with, that kind of really says the judgment of God, what would it be? What in the Old Testament or in the New Testament is a passage of Scripture that really, when, when someone says the judgment of God, comes to your mind? The flood, absolutely right. Uh, God judges the world uh, with the exception of Noah and his family. And... Um, and so that would be absolutely one. How about another one? Sodom and Gomorrah. Absolutely right. The Egyptians drowning in the sea. Absolutely. There's a lot more. So, you know, a lot of wrath. Yeah, in the New Testament, in the book of Acts, absolutely. Ananias and uh, uh, Sapphira. Sapphira, 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 however you say it. Yes, absolutely. So not just the Old Testament. Uh, when I think of the judgment of God, I think of the uh, great white throne in the book of Revelation. Um, others. Getting thrown out of the garden. Have to speak up. Look back and got turned into Saul. Absolutely. Cain. Cain. Different, different tongues. Yeah, Build Tower of Babel. Yep. Okay. Absolutely. So those are stories that stand out in our minds, probably if you've been raised in church or Sunday school. But most of us like to think of the judgment of God that happened to other people. And in today's culture, when you talk about the judgment of God, um, it is something that is almost mocked at. Um, today in many churches, um, stories like Sodom and Gomorrah are considered not accurate, that they didn't really happen. Uh, they were written because the Old Testament writers had a bias against certain sins. Um, I would say that um, when I think of the judgment of God, I think of uh, Jesus Christ on the cross, taking our sin and shame and punishment. And so you can't have the parts that you like, like Jesus taking our punishment, but then skip over the rest of it just because it doesn't fit 
the narrative of the day. So my question to you is, do you still think that God pours out His judgment on individuals, on uh, groups of people, and on nations? Yes? No? Maybe? Like I said, I have one ear that works, so you'll have to really speak up. Yes. Um, how many of you are honest think about it going to someone else? Right? God's going to judge someone else. Not going to judge me. Not going to judge my family. He's not going to judge my sins, right? I think we're, we're guilty of that, that it, we always view it in the, in the sense of someone else. I think of the story of Jonah, right? He uh, no doubt wanted God to do what? He wanted them to pour out his judgment, didn't he? He, he, he didn't want to see repentance. Um, and why was that? Jonah hated them, didn't he? He hated the Ninevites. He, he, he despised them for what they had done to the nation of Israel, the customs and lifestyle that they, they lived. And so he thought judgment would fall on someone else. And so tonight I really want to show you um, from this passage of Scripture that yes, God judges His people. He judges all people. And in Jeremiah 25, the second half, and, and we won't read all of it just for the, for the sheer volume of it, but what happens is Jeremiah is given this word from the Lord and he says, everybody around Israel, and he names nation after nation after nation after nation, and then he expands out to a bigger area, and he says God is going to judge not only the nation of Israel, but He is going to judge the people all around Israel, and truly God will judge all people. And so we're just going to read just a, just a, a brief a bit of this, and then I want to show you just other places throughout the Scripture that we see the judgment of God and the seriousness which we should look at it. In verse 15 it says, For thus says the Lord God of Israel to me, Take this wine cup of fury from my hand and cause all the nations to whom I send you to drink it. And they will drink and stagger and go mad because of the sword that I send among them. Then I took the cup from the Lord's hand and made all the nations drink to whom the Lord had sent me, Jerusalem and the cities of Judah, its kings and its princes to make a desolation, an astonishment, a hissing, a curse, as it is to this day. Pharaoh, king of Egypt, his servants, his prince, and all his people, all the mixed multitudes and all the kings of the land of us, all the kings of the land of the Philistines, namely Ashkelon, Gaza, Ekron, and the remnant of Ashad, Adam, Moab, and all the people of Ammon. And you can and read this and continue reading on this. And what I want you to notice is he starts with the person in power, right? The Pharaoh of Egypt, the king of this place, the king of this place. And then he works his way down because the king and the princes and the people. And why do you think that is? Well, I think it is for this simple reason. People who have privilege whether it's money, power, 
usually do not think that what applies to them? The law, right? You see it in our country all the time. Politicians don't think the law should apply to them. You've seen it by some of the biggest um, scandals in America. I think of the Bernie Madoffs, right, who have swindled and stole. And, and uh, usually, they usually get a what? Just a slap on the wrist, right? But yet, if someone who did the very same thing on a smaller scale, who didn't have the lawyers, who didn't have the pull, who didn't have the, uh, the means, would face a much different punishment, and why I think God lists in this order, and this is just the opinion of Jake Gray, you can, you can ignore it or acknowledge it, is I believe that God wants us to be reminded that no matter how big we think we are, no matter how important we think we are, no matter what we've accomplished or what earthly things that we have, we will all, we will all bow. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. Yeah. We are. We were actually going to talk about that as well. So as a husband, I am responsible for my wife and children. It's not the other way around. And, and I'm sorry if, 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 if you're a, a headstrong liberal feminist, but that is not scriptural. Uh, equal but different is what we believe the Bible teaches. Male, female, equal but different. And the Bible says that the husband is the head of the household. Now, if you don't like it, I don't really care. <laughs> it's what the Bible says. Now, does that mean that a husband should dominate and control and manipulate? Absolutely not. The Bible says that we should humbly serve and submit to one another. That's what the book of... Uh, oh, I just had a brain freeze there. Uh, Ephesians, I believe, tells us. But there is an order to the family, and someday I'm going to have to answer for my family. I am because I have been given that position of authority in the home. As a pastor, as uh, Gary said, there is stricter judgment for those who teach the Word of God. And so if you're a Sunday school teacher, a vacation Bible school teacher, uh, if you uh, teach in Awana, uh, if you teach in the youth, if you teach the Word of God to other people, you will have the opportunity to have more blessings, but also a stricter judgment. Uh, same way for a national leader. Uh, I think you see here as he goes on and continues to talk about this back in, uh, uh, I believe it is the verse 34, wail shepherds and cry, roll about in the ashes, you leaders of the flock, for the days of your slaughter and your dispersions are fulfilled. So he gives this idea in the scriptures of sheep or what? Pretty much helpless, right? The shepherd has to lead them where they're going. He has to protect them from the enemy. And what he says is, really, you have led them into a what? When someone says... Uh, Custer from American history, what do you think? Right? And what happened there? Slaughtered, right? He led his troops into an absolute slaughter. Now think about that and apply it to your life. Whether you have been, as a mother, given the authority and privilege of being over your children, because you're not immune to this, 
husbands and fathers to your family, pastors, whatever position of God has given you authority over, think about the people that you have that influence and authority over and think about leading them into slaughter. I mean, think about that. It should cause us to truly step back and think, am I taking serious the responsibilities and privilege that God has entrusted me with? I want to just jump there to 38. It's the last verse in chapter 25 or in chapter 25. And look what it says in verse 38. He has left his lair like the lion, for their land is desolate. Because the fierceness of the oppressor and because of his fierce anger. You see, the Lord is gracious and the Lord is merciful. The Bible tells us that God is long-suffering, not willing that any should perish. The Bible tells us over and over again in the book of Ezekiel that if a watchman warns the people of a city and the people do not listen and they are attacked and defeated, who is to blame? The people in that city. But if the watchman on the wall does not warn them, fails at his task, and the people are destroyed, the blood is on whose hand? The watchman. And as believers, we'll just, we'll just go one, we'll just build up the ladder here. As a family whether you are the husband, the wife, you are that watchman or watchwoman of your family. It is no one else's job to ensure that your children are in church other than you. It's your job. It's my job to ensure that even when my kids don't want to come, and they don't sometimes, that they come. It is my job as a family to make sure that our kids are praying, that they are that we're talking about our faith, that we are doing these things. It's not their job. It's not my three-year-old's job to wake me up in the morning and say, Dad, would you pray with me? It's not my five-year-old. I've got a five-year-old, I think. Yeah, five-year-old. <laughs> so I just picked a number and I figured I'd probably be right. But it's not my five-year-old's job to, to tell her mother, come pray with me before I go to bed. It's not, it's not their job. And so tonight I want you to hear that, that it is not the responsibility of our children to be the spiritual leaders of their home. And if a husband won't do it, wives, you step up. And, and I pray for the wives that have to do that because that's not the order that God instilled in the family. So not only just as a family, let's take it a step up to um, the people that you work with. If you are a believer, whose job in your workplace is it to warn your fellow co-workers about the danger of sin and the need for a Savior. It's yours. That's why the, the Great Commission says go to all the world. You say, well, it doesn't include my place of employment. I don't think you get the concept of that. It is on the planet. <laughs> and so the gospel needs to go there. You say, well, what about, um, what about my family, my extended family? Right, your aunts and uncles, your nieces and nephews. Who do you think in your family is to be praying and sharing the gospel and, and being that warning to them? Okay, I just was making... These are kind of facetious, but it's, it's significant. And as a church, 
Whose responsibility is it to watch out for you? Well, it's, it's mine, but it's also all of us. Right? How many times do you think the New Testament says, love one another, watch out for one another, care for one another? It's, it's a lot. I don't know the specifics of it, the specific number, but the idea that there's only supposed to be one person watching out for 800 of you is just not normal. There is a great shepherd, and I am not him. <laughs> the Lord is the one who watches out for his church. But he calls individuals. And so here at this church, we have uh, myself. And then there are, I believe there are 20, maybe 21. I'm not sure. I can't remember off the top of my head. Deacons who are assigned to you and their wives. And they are to be praying for you. They are to be checking up on you. We were just talking about that myself and, uh, and Kent and Angie just a few minutes ago. Uh, and and it's, their, it's their job to be watching out for you and to, to, be, to be aware of the things that go on in your life. Now, let's be clear. It's not their job to be nosy. It's not their job to run around and find out everything that's going on in your life. But if you have a need, if they see a warning sign, they are there to help you, to be there for you. Uh, one way I think that we do that is financially. Um, many, maybe you have no financial needs and you've never had a financial need. You've always been a, a, a person that has had a good income and you've, you've been financially blessed. And so you've never, you've never had to have someone help you pay your electric bill. Um, I'm, I'm thankful for that. But when we help our members pay their electric bills, that goes through them. It doesn't go through me. You say, Jake, I need some money to pay my electric bill. I'll tell you. Do you have a deacon? You need to go talk to them. And a lot of times, I don't even know about it. They, people go to them. Why? Because you need to know that it's not just me who is praying for you, me who is caring for you, but those individuals love and care for you as well. Do people slip through the cracks? Absolutely. Do, do people uh, go through difficulties with, that we don't know about? Absolutely. And that is because we are not omniscient. God alone is the one who knows everything. God alone is the one who is all-powerful. And God alone is the one who is present everywhere. And so tonight, maybe you're listening to this on that or... Or in here, and you say, well, Jake, we had a terrible difficulty. We went through a marriage trial. We went through a financial need, and the church wasn't there for us. I'm, I am sorry. Genuinely, I am sorry. And we want to be there for you going forward. Why? Because we are to be watching out for you. Uh, as a Sunday school class, if you're in a Sunday school class, your Sunday school teacher should be praying for you and, and being aware of you. Because why? They get you for an hour. Um, and hopefully you are talking and, and involved. And so there's that uh, accountability. Why? Because it's multiple layers of watching out for one another. Thoughts? I ate way too much Italian beef this afternoon, so you're going to have to talk some. I agree. I agree, <laughs> I ate too much Italian beef, or you made it too. <laughs> yeah. I didn't think my belt was going on this afternoon. So. When you don't trust the belt. When you don't trust the belt, go with the suspenders. 
I've got a pair, but my wife says I don't. I shouldn't wear them. It makes me look old. So I wear them under my suit coat a lot on Sundays. So and I understand. So I mean, what? How does that make you feel? Does it? Is it something that you feel that that you have looked back in your life, and it is something that the Lord has used to to make you realize the seriousness of what He's asked you to do? Do you look back and think, well, I wish I would have done it different. I wish I would have done it uh, more God's way instead of our way. I mean, when we start talking about judgment, usually people get very quiet because we all feel like we have failed. Right? As a pastor, I know that I have failed. As a husband, I know that I have failed. And so usually we get this mentality that we have failed so much that we're just going to give up. Right? Our, our kids are grown now, so what can we do? Uh, the, the church is... The church has moved past these families that have been slipped through the cracks. What do we do? So, so what do you, what is, how does the Lord use it in your life? How has, how does this understanding of a watchman impact you? Is it something that makes you feel guilty? Is it something that encourages you? Encourages you? Is, it, is it something that causes guilt? Like I said, I can tell you I have felt guilty when, when someone comes up and says, Jake, we, we, we lost a, a loved one and you didn't come to the hospital. And, and it doesn't matter that it was during the middle of COVID and you couldn't go, right? Or, or it doesn't matter if it was you, you called and texted every day. It doesn't, you know, those bother me. <laughs> Right? They eat me alive. It's the stuff that keeps me up at night. I wish, we I, wish I could have said this different. I wish I could have been there for this. I, I wish this meeting hadn't went this way. I, I wish that, you know, it keeps me up for hours at night. And you say, well, it shouldn't. Well, I understand that. I won't disagree with you. Absolutely. Absolutely. So it's kind of like this idea that, that when Jesus is talking, He says that uh, you know, the, the, the harvest is and the workers are... And, and He kind of talks like the, the time to labor is now. Well, the Apostle Paul, when he talks about time, he says it is far spent, right? It, it, it's it's this, this, this opposite. And so in the, in the Old Testament, many times when you see this cup of blessing, right? This, the cup that overflows throughout the Old Testament. It's a, it's a sign of blessing. But when Jeremiah takes it, he takes this thing that is uh, synonymous with blessing and says, just like God can bless out of this cup, He can pour judgment out of this cup. And so it's really this idea that He is, he is contrasting one with the other, that God is long-suffering and He is gracious and merciful, but yet He is just and holy, and He is both. And so both are important for us to be reminded of on a regular basis. Thoughts? So, but this, it is, it's this idea though that, is, does anybody else struggle here with um, feeling like a failure? 
Now, you don't have to raise your hand. I know nobody does. But I, I can. Uh, inadequate. is Maybe that's a better word. Maybe not, it's not as offensive, right? Uh, I don't know if you know this or not, but there's a lot of times throughout uh, the, the week at our, as a family, the size of family that we have, that I feel inadequate as a, a father, right? I mean, how do you spend enough time with each one of your kids? How do you spend enough time at church? How do you, how do you spend enough time witnessing and, and at balancing it all together? And it's a constant reminder that, that we have to stay humble, but really the, what is adequate in me is not me, right? It is Him who lives in and through me. And so we have to always be humbled, but yet we can't be defeated, right? We have to be aware, but not so overwhelmed that we are not able to persevere, right? We fail, we make mistakes, we, we are all corrected by God at some point in our life. I think uh, if you, you want to flip there, you can, you don't have to in the, uh, in the book of 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 17. I have a, a lot of verses just printed out that... To talk about the judgment of God throughout the Bible. And in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 17, it talks about, For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? So the judgment of God for the Christian is discipline. It is a, a correction. It's not a punishment. It's like when you discipline your children, it's, it's love. Now, if someone else tries to discipline and abuse your children, that's exactly what it is, right? It's abuse. But when you are trying to correct and discipline your children, it is, it's love. And that's what he says. When God starts with the people of God, it's love. But what about those who do not know God? It's, it's judgment. It's eternal, like Dave said a minute ago. It is an eternity away from God. It's the second death being thrown into the lake of the fire. Lake of fire, excuse me. And Especially for those that have the opportunity to hear. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, Revelation 20. I had made mention of that earlier, that uh, great white throne. <clears throat> And, uh, and you can read that, you know. And Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. And from his presence, earth and sky fled away and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne and the books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, it was thrown into the lake of fire. And so we see this, this idea that the watchmen that we are called to be, the witnesses we are called to be, have an eternal impact. Because judgment is not temporary after death. Death leads to an eternal judgment. Um, I read a study the other day where I can't remember the specific numbers. Maybe you have seen it. The amount of professing Christians who do not believe in hell. Has anyone ever seen that uh, survey? 
I cannot think of the number off the top of my head. I've been hanging out with old people too much. I'm starting to think like them. So I'm not talking about here. Where did you guys? Don't go be guilty. Out in the community. <laughs> Has anybody ever or you got your phone and pull that up? It is an astronomical amount for people who claim to believe the Bible is the Word of God. Uh, how many times have you heard this, that, that God is a God of love, right? And that, that sin, there is no sin, right? You usually hear it about lifestyle choices, right? That God doesn't judge. God, God doesn't care. You know, we're all children of God. You, you have, has anyone ever heard anything as nonsense as that at any, at any time? Read it? Okay, one person, that's a really good odd. Okay, two people, that's it. Two out of all of you have heard something like that. Man, you need to go witnessing more, apparently, because... Yeah, it is this... But it's this idea, though, that it's an elevation of man, right? That there is nothing. I mean, God doesn't care. God, God, God is just love. And the Bible does say that God is... Love. You, you, you can't deny that, but it's the world's version of love, right? It, it's what I want, what I feel, what I think. And we love people enough to know that God is the only way and that God is holy and He is perfect and sin will not be in His presence. And it's something that we as a church, I really believe, have got to get back to. I believe that the teaching that, that people are not sinners is destroying the church. Now, I also think, though, that the church went through a phase where it got extremely legalistic, right? Like if you don't cut your hair, if you, you, know, you don't wear suits and ties to church. which I, I wear a suit and tie to church, and I like that, and I, I've got no problem with that, all right? Um, but I don't think that's why I'm going to heaven, right? I think the church went maybe a little legalistic sometimes in their application, but we have to get back to teaching that sin has consequences. You see, salvation is sweet because of why. What it means to us, right? Because me who is guilty is now made innocent. Who deserves death and punishment gets life and forgiveness. There is a song, and I'm not going to say it's one of my favorites because everybody teases me that all of them are my favorites. And, but it, there is a fount filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's vein, and sinners plunge beneath its... Lose all their guilty... Go ahead and sing it, Mary, would you? No! <laughs> See, I know the rest of those words. I'm not going to sing it either, but anyway. It repeats there. Yes, it repeats. But, but it, it's, right, it's a beautiful song, and it's, it's all because the death of Jesus Christ and the blood that was spilt for us. And so we have to get back to being a church that believes you have to be covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. And, Jamie, you can sing that one for me Sunday or the next Sunday, you know. <laughs> I already got one I'm singing one son. Huh? How about for the Lord's Supper? That'll work. The, the, biggest, the biggest thing is, is it doesn't make sense. 
Absolutely. Well, if you're familiar with Ray Comfort and you've ever seen his uh, street evangelism, I don't agree with how he does it all the time, but he, he just asked that simple question. Have you ever sinned? And people were like, well, no. Well, have you ever told a lie? Well, yeah. Have you ever stole a pack of gum? Well, yeah. Have you ever had an inappropriate thought about someone in a sexual way? Well, yeah. So you're a liar. You're a thief. You're an adulterer. Have you ever hated somebody? Well, yes. And you're a murderer. And so he just right off the bat, and then usually they're like, well, uh, uh, yeah, uh. And he tells them that's why we need a Savior, because we are sinful. And so when we think about the judgment of God, we always want to be reminded of the significance of, yes, the judgment of God is true and it is just, but yet there is a way to avoid the judgment of God. And His name is Jesus Christ. He took our punishment, right? Um, and so it's... Absolutely. Uh, John chapter 3, verse 18, and you can write this down or flip over there with me. It's, it's entirely up to you. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. So some people will say, well, I just won't make a decision at all. Right? I, I won't reject Him and I, I won't accept Him. I won't believe or disbelieve in what... This says is, if you don't believe, you're already condemned. Romans 14, verse 12. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. Hebrews 9, verse 27. And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes the judgment. You see, the Bible over and over and over again gives us this warning. How many of you, 10 years ago, would sit at a dinner table, or not a private dinner table, but somewhere uptown per se, and you would have no problems talking about, uh, we'll just use this one because it's the big one, in the homosexuality, right? You would, have, you would have had no, uh, what's the word I'm looking for here? Not qualms. Qualms, that's it. Yes, thank you. Uh, about talking about, you know, it's wrong, it's sinful, but now, if you're in public and you're having a conversation, do you think you have that same conversation, or is it very much quieter? Never real quiet. <laughs> Go up. That's applicable. That's applicable. I know I am. Right? How many of you just used to maybe would talk about the fact that um, that uh, drunkenness or or uh, premarital sex or whatever it is, you, you would talk about things like that, but. As our culture has quickly ran towards sin, I think it has caused God's people to be less bold. And I don't think it's just in public. I listen to a lot of guys preach. A lot of guys preach. And you say, well, why don't you listen to girls preach? Because I don't think God calls women to pastor. So that's just, that's, I listen to men. So, but, I mean, you can believe what you want, but you're wrong. So, um, <laughs> husband of one wife means husband of one wife. I don't know where that came from, but that's a free extra tonight. But you would be so surprised how any time there's a sermon on sin and judgment, the pastor has to spend 15 minutes ahead of time in the introduction of his sermon 
reminding people, God loves you. God loves you. God loves you. I'm going to talk about what he doesn't like. God loves you. God loves you. God loves you. God loves you. Because it's this, this fear of people don't want to hear it. People don't want to be confronted. And what you are seeing is a weak, anemic church that has no power. Because the death of Christ means something when you are forgiven of much. If nothing is sinful, you're just a bad person. The death of Jesus isn't really that special. (laughs) But when you are, the Bible says your heart is deceitfully wicked. (laughs) When the thoughts of mankind are wicked. Now you're saying you're not wicked, you're a liar. (laughs) But when you realize what you've been forgiven from, it changes everything. It's kind of like the analogy that you've probably heard, right? A a person is forgiven of a $10 debt, says thank you. A person who has a million dollar debt is very thankful. And Jesus even uh, told a parable about that, didn't He? The one who forgave, and then He is forgiven, then He goes and He wants His money, what is owed to Him. (laughs) And the Master says, but I have forgiven you of... So much. You see, the the cross of Jesus Christ, the death of Jesus Christ, is special not just because of what He did and who He is, but what He saved us from. And I think that's why... I think that's why... I think all testimonies are wonderful. I think a testimony of a kid saved as a little kid, faithful throughout their teenage years, is just as powerful as another one, okay? Okay? But I think that when you are an adult and you are saved, I think it is just something that is overwhelmingly real to you because you realize how much more sinning you have done. Now, we're all sinners. We all fall short. But, but usually, uh, that 9 or 10-year-old child, I believe they're saved without a doubt. But I don't really believe that they fully appreciate it until they get older. And they are reminded on a regular basis how much God has forgiven them for. And and so I think it's important for us as a church to never lose the significance that that sin leads to death. That sin destroys. That sin ruins everything. And the consequences of sin is death separation from God, and there is no way that we can posit, put a positive spin on sin. Whether it's lying, whether it's idolatry, whether it's blasphemy, whether it's gluttony, since you all ate too much Italian beef, um, whatever the sin is, we have to understand the significance of it because it was so significant that the Son of God died to forgive you of it. You see, when sin is not important to the church anymore, it shows us that the Savior's death is not important to us either. And truly, what is the worst thing, I believe, that can happen to the church is when we are no longer serious or moved by what Christ has done for us. And I want to finish like this because I'm out of time. I want you to flip to 1 Corinthians with me. 
You've heard me use this, and since Jamie brought up the Lord's Supper, this is the verse that we always use when we have the Lord's Supper. And uh, the Lord's Supper is a remembrance of what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross. I don't believe it actually becomes the body and blood like the Catholic Church teaches. But it says here in verse 17 of chapter 11, Now in giving these instructions, I do not praise you, since you come together not for the better, but for the worse. For first of all, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. And in part, I believe it. For there must also be factions among you, that those who are approved may be recognized among you. Therefore, when you come together in one place, it is not to eat the Lord's Supper. For in eating, each one takes his own supper ahead of the others. And one is hungry, and another is drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and shame those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I do not praise you. So when you get disgruntled with church, remember it could always be worse, okay? There's usually not drunkenness going on at the Lord's Supper, right? We're, we're usually not pushing people out of the way and, and getting in the front of the line because we want it first and all of these things. But still significant because why? They are approaching this without the right heart. That it's not that big of a deal. That it's all about them. And he goes on there in verse 23 through 26 and actually talks about how to take the Lord's Supper. And you've heard that a thousand times. But listen to what verse 27 says. Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But... Let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this reason, many are weak and sick among you, and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord, that we may not be condemned with the world." Therefore, my brethren, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. But if anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, lest you come together for judgment. Don't miss that. Coming together for judgment. And the rest I will set in order when I come. I don't remember how long ago it was. One of the most embarrassing and yet, I think, most blessed moments of my pastor had happened at the same time. A few years ago, I don't remember how long it was ago, maybe a year and a half ago, two years ago, I don't remember. Uh, uh, there was, a, there was a, a, a family in church that was calling me pretty much everything except for a white man. And uh, if you can think of a terrible thing to say, it was being said about me. And we came to do the Lord's Supper one Sunday. And as you know, my entire time here, for almost 10 years, when we have the Lord's Supper, who presents the Lord's Supper? the sermon part of it. Well, I do. And that morning I come to church and I had so much unforgiveness in my heart. I was so angry. I mean, literally, if, if you shouldn't love violence, but I was praying that way. And I knew that if I was to lead the Lord's Supper, I honestly felt that the Lord might strike me dead right there at the altar. Now, hopefully you've never had this feeling. 
hopefully this, you're much more spiritual than this. And I couldn't lead the Lord's Supper. And as we started the process of taking the Lord, I couldn't take the Lord's Supper. So I don't know how embarrassing that was for the pastor not only to lead, but I was standing on the stage not taking the Lord's Supper. I don't stand on the stage anymore, by the way. <laughs> if I can keep from it. But I really believe that, Jake, you can't take it with this unforgiveness in your heart. Now, I felt that I didn't do anything wrong. I felt that I was in, in the right, so I didn't feel guilty about my sin in that sense. But I knew <laughs> that no matter what God did to them, I'd be happy. It was that angry, that hurt, that unforgiveness. It was consuming me on that Sunday. So I didn't take the Lord's Supper. And so it was humiliating from an earthly standpoint. But I felt like the Lord really dealt with me and said, you don't have to let it go. I don't think you're going to be able to use this for the next 10 to 15 to 30 years as every time the church takes the Lord's Supper. Well, I can't lead it. Someone else will have to do it. But I seriously believe that when the church of Jesus Christ no longer takes sin in our own life. It doesn't say someone else's life, right? It says we judge ourselves. Then we can approach God because we recognize what we have been forgiven from. The Lord's Supper is one of the special, most special things that we do, right? Because it's a time of remembrance. It's a time of celebration. But imagine if you got up one Sunday and said, we're going to go to church, we're taking the Lord's Supper, we're going to judgment. I don't think you'd come that Sunday morning. But what he says is, when you come with sin in your heart, when you come trampling on the free gift that God purchased at Calvary, it's exactly what you're doing. And so today I'm not here to, to tell us that it's just about the world's sin that needs to be preached against. It's our own. And when the church of Jesus Christ will get serious about dealing with our sin in our life, in our families, in our church, I believe God will bless us in a mighty way.